Welcome to the Life Change Podcast. Panhandle Weight Loss Center is a unique surgical practice focused on changing lives. Our approach moves away from the singular goal of weight loss and encompasses one of overall health and wellness. This podcast explores a variety of topics inside the realm of health and wellness, including nutrition, fitness, lifestyle issues, and even surgery. The goal of this program is to inspire listeners to take a critical review of your life as we guide you towards a paradigm that translates to life change. Welcome to the Panhandle Weight Loss Center uh, podcast. Um, I'm here tonight with Justin Trammell, and of course, this is me, Chelsea Nelson, the dietitian here. Um, so, Justin, welcome. Thank you. All right. So, um, we had Justin on. He is actually um, the owner of a couple of things. I'll let you talk about that here in a second. Um, but we thought it would be really great to kind of talk about um, some of the farming business and uh, meat and how it's raised and why it matters. So, if you could just give us an introduction, who are you, Justin? Well, I'm Justin Trammell. So, I grew up here in the Panhandle, mainly in Canyon, uh, but you know, I ran around Amarillo plenty too. And I grew up uh, in agriculture. My uh, granddad, he, he basically was one of the main guys up there at the Amarillo Sale Barn. And then uh, my dad worked up there a lot. And then we also took care of wheat pasture cattle and uh, took care of lots of other cattle. And mainly we focused on the cattle, but of course we always had a garden and mm -hmm. had a grandmother that was very much into growing food and that kind of stuff. And okay. basically I always had chickens. And so I kind of got to grow up in that. And then I went to... Uh, I always wanted to have a family farm, but I got told by a lot of different uh, people, both uh, because they were concerned about my future and some of them that just kind of had a, a, a bad image of family farms, that that was not something that was worth being pursued. So I went to college and got a degree at WTU in wildlife biology. And uh, while there, I actually got to interact with an organization called the Ogallala Commons. And so through them, uh, they're, they're an organization that's devoted to restoring our small town um, plains communities basically within the Ogallala Aquifer through, um, you know, a combination of entrepreneurship and uh, thinking outside the box and, and basically inviting people to come back home because there are a lot of opportunities out here. Nice. And so through that, I was able to actually get involved with uh, a couple different other farming organizations that, uh, you know, these people actually made this kind of stuff work. And so from there, I just kind of jumped off into it in 2014 um, and uh, started with chickens. And then we went to, uh, we incorporated sheep after and then hogs and then started partnering with my dad on beef. And then uh, within that, you know, we always had to uh, play around with the processing and it was always challenging as far as that goes because there's not many plants in the panhandle that mm -hmm. are either USDA or state inspected. And you have to have one of those to be able to legally retail uh, your meat. Gotcha. And uh, so it was always hard to get processing slots at, and it was hard to find somebody that you could trust to process an animal because you can raise an animal for a year or two years and bring it to somebody to process it. And if they completely bungle the whole thing, you <laughs> have just wasted that much time yeah. <laughs> on top of all the money and everything else. Right. And uh, so I, I looked at opening a processing facility in 2014 whenever I actually had to open my custom facility for my poultry, but I decided that was too much of a, a burden. But uh, in, let's say, I guess that would have been 2019, actually right before COVID started, um, my dad was like, no, this isn't something we need to jump off into because uh, I'm, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the traditional agriculture model, but it really doesn't work well for cattle 
producers. If you can net a hundred dollars a head, a lot of times you're doing pretty good. Okay. So, um, you know, he was convinced after seeing what I was able to do selling the beef that, you know, that was a direction we needed to head in. And so we jumped off into this and it took me about two years of research to figure out how to actually open a processing facility because the regular regulatory side is so convoluted and while there are some resources out there um, there's no one place you can go to and just say hey i want to open a facility and they're like oh yeah then you need to do these things you have to yeah. I, I quite literally had to figure out what organizations i had to talk to and actually what they had jurisdiction over on top of that so we finally did that and then this january we opened that facility and so now we've been able to uh, provide some good paying jobs to people and you know provide now we have complete control over the whole process so we can raise our animals and uh, bring them to the facility and process them and uh, you know most of my meat that I sell to people now not the beef as much but especially my pork and lamb you know I have my hands on the great majority of that so yeah even before it gets to people so okay. it's uh, definitely been a long road but I think it's extremely worth it and I think it's got a lot of potential um, health-wise for y'all but also even in the small town communities and even for the state at large. For sure. So tell us the names of your businesses because you have the farm and then you have the processing right. plant, right? Yeah, so I have a tear balloon farm and then my, my, dad'll, my dad has a trammel cattle. Okay. And then we have our processing facility, the Panhandle Meat Processing, and then the storefront on that is Rancher Storefront. Okay. So we actually have four businesses that all interact rather closely. <laughs> okay. Um, and is Tear Balloon Farm and Trammel Cattle, is that like in the Canyon Amarillo area? Uh, yes. Uh, so I raise all my animals specifically at, at our little home place there. Okay. Uh, that's where I have my sheep and my hogs and I do the poultry there. Um, and actually we just got rabbits, so I'll, I'll start doing that in the future as well. Oh, very good. But, uh, my dad has the cattle, so he does have a little feed out yard there. Oops. <laughs> You're and, good. Uh, and, uh, he then also has a, uh, about a half section, not too far from the place that's a grass and a farming, uh, place. And then he, okay. between what he leases and owns, he has a little over 8,000 acres over in San Juan, New Mexico. So that's on oh, okay. I-40 right as you cross the border into New Mexico. So that land's not great for farming or much of anything else, but as far <laughs> as running cattle, if you know how to do it, it works really well. Okay. Very good. And so this has been a family business forever, basically for you, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and before we get too far into that, you also have two little boys. Yep. Is that right? Okay. Um, were they part of getting the rabbits? Uh, no, that was just <laughs> a, a random thing. Actually, the people were buying some uh, t-shirts for the facility from. They had some rabbits and they wanted to get rid of them. And okay. so that's something I wanted to do for a while because that's a really good protein source and it's really um, sustainable and it has a very quick turnaround. But gotcha. I never got done before. So Okay, well, there you go. So we're adding rabbits. Um, okay, so tell us a little bit about what makes your farm uh, different than others that are out there. Well, a lot of what we do is we try to focus on soil health. And around here, that's pretty tricky because it's not like a lot of places in the United States where you can see a change in what you're doing topside on your soil. You, a lot of places in the United States, you can see a change in that in less than a season. Around here, you have to think about it in at least year chunks, if not two to five year chunks. Huh, okay. Because our uh, precipitation cycle is so 
random, you know, gotcha. if you lived here for longer than about two months, you yeah. know, that sometimes <laughs> it doesn't rain at all. Yeah. There's been, well, even this, this past kind of year, even up to last October, from last October until almost August, we had less than two inches of rain out at the place. Yeah. Okay. And then come August, you know, we got all that rain and we got, a, uh, I think it was seven or eight inches yeah. in that little time frame. And so all of a sudden we had grazing, but up until then we had nothing. And so you have okay. to, then you have to have a very different mindset whenever you're looking at that kind of thing around here. Cause it just, it's, it's not a quick thing and it's taken a lot of years, but I can also see the places that I've been doing that. I can see a definite change. Okay. So it, there's, there's definitely something to it. It just, you have to have a very long-term mindset is, is gotcha. I guess what, what that would require. Yeah. And you'll have to forgive me if I'm speaking about something I don't know a lot about, no. but, <laughs> um, I know like in typical farms, you know, they're just basically like, um, raising whatever animals, you know, let's say cattle, for example, on the same land every single year, you know, they're not rotating. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is that kind of what you're talking about as far as like soil health. Right. So, I mean, that definitely plays into it because your animal should be a tool for your soil health. And really, um, if you're, if you're looking for soil health, you should really be looking at it from the mindset of being like a grass or a plant farmer. You're not a rancher, you're a grass farmer because you have to raise the right kind of grass or maybe even a forage farmer. If you prefer that you have to raise the right kind of forage in order to support your animals and support them in the right way to where then you can reap the benefits once they get to basically your plate. So it's it's a different mindset as far as that goes, but it also means that you raise a lot different animals too. Uh, We really don't have any production breeds on the farm as far as, you know, like the chicken that you get in the store. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much all Cornish breed, Cornish Cornish rock hen. Generally those animals, they only live about eight weeks, eight to 10 weeks. They go from a chick to, you know, a big bird with two two to four pound breast in that short of time. But that also means that they have a genetic profile that's extremely reduced. Basically, they're clones of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if anything, like, say, bird flu, you know, people have heard about that. If bird flu comes through a facility like that, basically, I don't know if you've known, but, you know, they have to euthanize all those animals. Mm -hmm. Because none of those animals will have any resistance. If it hits one, it's going to hit every single one. Yeah. Whereas like the chickens that I raise, they're a heritage breed mix. So their genetics are wildly different. And that does cause a difference in your production. I I can't bank on every single bird being a five pound carcass. Sure. Yeah. But I can bank. I don't have to treat any bird with any antibiotics, period. Gotcha. So there's, there's a big difference. Again, it's that mindset, you know, what are you looking at? Are you looking at the short-term game or, or gain or the long-term gain? Yeah. And it also produces a very different meat. If you never had a chicken that's been raised outside where they run around all their lives, that, that bird does not resent, resemble anything that you get in the store. Yeah. That's basically almost a completely dark meat bird. It's actually proportional and it's also filling. Sure like a you know a a rotisserie chicken from one of the grocery stores i can eat half of that probably pretty (laughs) easy in a sitting right one half of one leg on one of my birds and i'm full yeah their bones are also a lot different you know chicken bones from the store you can just break with basically no effort sure chicken bones from my birds you can 
strap them to the table and get a hammer and break them. But wow. that's about the only way you're going to break them. I'm foreseeing a like a video series that we need to do on some of this in the future. That's fascinating. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's exactly what we want to tell our patients too, is, you know, if you can kind of get back to this eating, um, how our long ago ancestors ate truly at this point. I mean, my grandparents truly didn't eat this way either. Yep. Um, you know, they were kind of in the transitional phase. And so if we can kind of get back to that, you know, you're eating the same foods, you're still eating chicken, but it has a completely different like nutrition profile. It gives you a completely different satiety, which means like how it makes you feel full. Uh, you feel satisfied and that kind of stuff. And so that's why guys, whenever we're talking about, you know, um, you know, getting in these uh, really good nutrients in the food that you're eating, having this high quality food. Um, this is why, that's exactly why. So you, you heard it from the mouth of the man, Justin Trammell. <laughs> well, okay. And, and I've always found that interesting. You know, there's not a lot of um, empirical data as far as, I don't, I don't know, and you may know of some better studies that talk about fullness and the correlation between nutritional density, but I know that there's a definite difference in all of the products that we have from the chicken to the pork and the lamb and the beef. For sure. So yeah, absolutely. No, you're exactly right. There's not a whole lot of research, honestly, it's kind of a new thing. Um, so I think we'll see, I think the thing that's researched the most right now with all of this is, you know, okay, what's the nutrition profile like, uh, between let's say, you know, a bird that was raised in a cage with 50 other birds versus one that was literally free roaming its whole life. And, you know, there's some differences that you can see from those meats, you know, um, one bird is going to have more certain B vitamins or iron or you know, all these other things. And so I don't know exactly, don't quote <laughs> me on all those, but, uh, that's uh, the kind of research we have. Not really. How does it affect humans just yet? But I think we'll get there. Um, and I think maybe by talking about these things, hopefully it'll get people more interested in that because I think the more we talk about it, the more you support these businesses that are doing it, you know, the more it'll catch on kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so you opened a processing facility in 2019 or a little oh, after January of this year. Oh, January yeah, of this it year. Took okay. Me about two years to get through. Got you. So you started to think about, you did the research starting in 2019. Um, and so primarily you were just basically wanting a way to control that whole process yourself. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we really needed the, uh, truly it's market access for us, uh, because like I said, you can't legally retail any of the meat that you process unless you have a state or a USDA inspected facility. And so, um, you know, and, and some of that's there for good reason that, you know, having that HACCP plan and having the right way to do things and to, sure. you know, pay attention to that. But there's also a fair amount of that that is kind of just one of those things that it's designed <laughs> for big facilities and, and so a lot of it doesn't necessarily apply, but yeah. it definitely, um, it's, it's changed our operation because now well, even like last Saturday, I, I sold out of most of the pork that I had. And so instead of being like, well, now I'm just out for three or four months, I just went to my phone and I added on our calendar, I'm doing two pigs on Tuesday. Yeah, gotcha. Nice. So how many, like, um, I guess, processing <coughs> facilities are there, if you know the number in, in Texas or in this area, um, like the northern Panhandle, maybe New Mexico kind of area that have those licenses that it would allow you to retail? Like, how many are there? Well, as far as right here in the main part of the Panhandle, and I mean, like Plainview North, um, there's, let's see, Browns and Clintonsons and Eads are really, so there was three that you could choose from. Okay. that really had those proper licenses and, you know, with them being booked out like they were. And then, like I said, after COVID, you were talking about a year and a half or two year waiting period. Oh, wow. That, 
you know, for somebody like me, I actually went over a year without being able to process anything, which is not very easy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not very good for business, right? I uh, know, that makes it hard. <laughs> and not very good for the animals either. Yeah, true. Very true. Um, okay, so tell us maybe a little bit about some of those things that you ran into when you were trying to open your own processing facility. So you already mentioned, you know, there's basically no guidance out there. You just had to figure it out on your own. So what were some of the things that kind of stood out in your mind that were just frustrating, you know, that seemed like just kind of maybe some red tape that you had to go through? Well, one of the big things is, so I already had a working relationship with uh, DSHS, which is the Department of safety and safety and health services I think in Texas is what it stands for and I already had a relationship with them because I opened that poultry but it was a custom exempt which means that I could only do my animals and those animals could only be sold whole to end users so I couldn't retail them in a grocery store or anything mm-hmm. like that um, so I had a relationship actually with an inspector to start with and he was really great but he really opened my eyes because you can go to the DSHS website and find this sort of manual that they have but it's written very convolutedly. Um, it's very ambiguous in a lot of things. So like one of the requirements is basically you have to design a facility that can be maintained to sanitary standards. <laughs> okay. So, okay. And then um, the inspectors themselves are actually supposed to be forbidden from giving you any assistance. So they can't look at mm. a blueprint. They can't even, they're not even supposed to tour a facility before it's completely done. Oh, wow. So they can't be, you know, I would, you know, one would think that you could go to them and say, hey, I, you know, I need some help. How do I do this right? And then be able to be like, oh, yeah, but because they, I guess they don't want, you know, any kind of quote unquote guarantee, they just can't, yeah. they're not supposed to be involved in the process. Oh, anyway. wow. Yeah, we won't name any uh, names. <laughs> well, my Haas, my inspector, he actually retired. Oh, okay. Uh, January, <laughs> so it's okay. But, um, but there was a lot of stuff like that. And then uh, there was also no... Uh, list that you knew the agencies you had to talk to because DSHS is only one. We also had to involve TCEQ. We also had to involve the local health department. We also had to make sure that we were, you know, not going to have run-ins with OSHA or Mm -hmm. any of these other entities that, and there's not really any good working guidelines like that. And then I also ran into that some of those agencies thought that they had jurisdiction over things they did not. Okay. So at that point, then it required me to actually go into the law and learn like 9 CFR, the, the federal code, and learn the Texas administrative code and what applies to us there, and then be able to have a very controlled conversation with um, different individuals from those agencies and say, well, actually, this is what I found, and here's why, and here it is like yeah. in the code. And so that's part of the reason it took so long. Gotcha. Because I had to get very educated. <laughs> you had to become a lawyer. You had to become all sorts of things. Okay. Um, so why do you feel like it's important for consumers to have these options for, you know, the things that you guys provide at your, your storefront, uh, you know, the locally sourced, locally processed meats of all kinds? Well, for one, uh, you, you know, anybody that buys any of our meat, they can quite literally come and see where it's being raised and how it's being raised and um, you know something I'm sure that you guys have probably noticed in anybody that buys from me is I'm not I don't have any kind of certifications I'm not certified organic I'm not certified natural mm-hmm. I don't have any of those certifications and partially that's because most of them are just terribly expensive Gotcha. and then like particularly with the certified organic program a lot of those people that are supposed to be enforcing that 
can't tell you the difference between a tomato and a potato plant, much less mm -hmm. what's going on. And so that, that program itself has lost a lot of people. Yeah. And I don't want to have to pass on thousands and thousands of dollars in those fees to my customers. Yeah. But a big part of that as well is that I mainly like to sell local because anybody that has any question like that, I'll tell them how I do it. And then if they're like, well, how do I know? I'll be like, well, why don't you come out? We can spend a day, you know, we'll look at everything. I'll show you how I do it and why I do it like that. And yeah. And then if you, if it's not good enough, then that's fine. But, <laughs> sure. And so far I've never actually had anybody take me up on that as far as somebody that's not believing me. I've had some people, you know, I've had lots right. of people come out and see, but yeah. Not anybody that was like, well, I don't believe you. Because sure. as soon as I say, well, then come out, they're like, uh, okay. Well. <laughs> they can't get past <laughs> the smell, right? I've been out uh, to your place before. <laughs> if you stand uh, downwind in a certain area, it's like, oh, man, do I yeah, really want to be out here? Uh, you know that, that, that saying, uh, what is it, the come and see how the sausage is made there's there's yeah. some parts of that, that i mean it's just it is <laughs> right. what it is but <laughs> for sure um so just that transparency that's really valuable to you guys yeah, yeah okay for sure awesome um so just from what you know and i can speak on this a little bit too but um what are some of the benefits of purchasing some of the products that you guys sell you know some of those locally sourced locally grown type meats um as far as well really just anything so any kind of benefit yep. that you feel like well, you know, to start with, you're going to, the taste is going to be radically different than what you get in the store. Uh, I already mentioned the chicken, the beef is the same exact way. The pork is the same way. I raise a red meat pork. And so it's, uh, you know, the pork you get in the store, it's pretty easy to dry out a pork chop. Oh yeah. I've done it a million yeah. times. <laughs> the pork chops that I have, you're going to burn them before you dry them out. Gotcha. And okay. so like it, like I mentioned earlier, I don't have a lot of empirical evidence per se, but there's a whole lot of anecdotal evidence that you can look at these things. And it also, you know, because of the way we process, we don't inject water, we don't have any additives like that. And so it's a completely different product that you're getting. And as we mentioned before, you feel a lot more full whenever you eat these products. And so you are getting a good bang for your buck in all honesty um and anymore as expensive as meat is getting we're getting pretty competitive with yeah the store. i mean i was out at you guys place a couple of weeks ago and i bought some meat out there and i came home and i was like i'm pretty sure i just spent the exact same that i would have spent at the grocery store like i felt like everything was like super reasonable and i was talking to my husband about that i was like i really don't think i spent any more money but i got this really good quality meat and we made um i bought one of your roasts i don't even remember what kind it was um made one of your roasts and it was i mean it was just like fall apart yep. delicious it had a good flavor on it so and i didn't do anything to it i just put a, a little bit of water in the crock pot with mm -hmm. it and it was absolutely delicious so yeah um i i mean i can speak firsthand to that and so i guess part of that is kind of what you're saying you know you guys aren't passing on all of the cost of some of those really expensive certifications i mean there's a, there's a big part of that and you know you know exactly where it was raised and how it was raised and even how it was processed and um even even the like breakfast sausages we have and stuff you know that we're sourcing those spices from a guy here in town that we know how that's done and we so it's not even even those additives that we have yeah are a lot different okay Great. Um, so if I mentioned that I had come out to your place and got some meat. So if somebody is wanting to, you know, check you guys out or buy your products, how can they do that? Uh, I, I have one more weekend at the Canyon Farmers Market this coming Saturday. It'll actually be the big fall fest, the, the end for the market. So you can find me there on the square in Canyon from eight till, I guess, one since it's the 
okay. the last day. But we do have our storefront out at the farm, and then uh, we're in the process of revamping the website. We're we're gonna we're going to be able to ship actually, and uh, do a few other things that we've been looking to do for a while now. But it, we actually we've put off because we never had the supply before because we couldn't get things processed. So <laughs> sure. Uh, Okay. Um, and you got, you're sometimes out at Wolfland, right? On the weekends too? Uh, yeah. So that, uh, that market will start up. I think I'm planning to be there the 20 something of October. Okay. So that's another place that you can reach us there at uh, Salt and Spices. He's the one that we source those spices from. Yeah. The 24th okay. is when I'll be there because I've got some other things I have to do on those other October weekends. Okay, but. great. Um, and then also for anyone listening, if you're um, looking on, you know, like Facebook, you can look up Panhandle Meat Processing. You can look up Tier Blue, and I'll spell it for you because it's a little bit different. It's T-I-R-B-L-U-E-N. Uh, Trammel Cattle. So T-R-A-M-M-E-L-L Cattle, C-A-T-T-L-E. So you can look up all of their info there um, and you can find the website um, or I guess the, like your, uh, like, location information mm-hmm. um so where you guys are located and they have a great little storefront out there you guys also usually have some veggies and stuff like that i think yeah we try to uh, keep as much local stuff in there as we can so we've got flat whole wheat flour that we sourced from a really nice couple there in groom and if you never had things cooked with whole wheat flour you're missing out there <laughs> you talk about a dense food right it, uh, that's, that's completely different and then we do uh, we source milk with uh, the cream still in it from uh, dairy there in clovis and then we do try to have as many local vegetables as we can. It's, it's getting to the point where we're not going to have very many you know, sure. going into the Summer's quarter season. Yeah. But, uh, and then we've got some pistachios from Malmogordo, and we're always awesome. trying to look to find some other other goodies to put in there. Okay. Uh, okay, and I just have some, like, random questions yep. that I was thinking about with, you know, meat processing. How did you learn to process an animal? Uh, really? Trial uh, and error? <laughs> well, some of that, and actually YouTube was the biggest deal. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of good guys there to butchers, for one. If And if you've never um, taken the time to watch something like that, it is really good, even just if you watch it once. They don't have super long videos, and it gives you a really good idea of what's going on. Uh, because, you know, we whenever we started, we did have a few people that had some experience in some of these other bigger plants, but a plant where you stand in one spot all day long and you cut one thing, so you cut the brisket off of mm-hmm. it, you, and you do that cut all day long for eight hours, that's a completely different process compared to you pull in a side of the side of beef and you have to break it down into all the different cuts. Yeah. And so even the people that we had that were, you know, had come from those backgrounds, they were kind of at a loss to start with. So, I mean, kind of like you said, we did, you know, I did as much research as I could. And I did a lot of research beforehand because I was a producer and I needed to know how to cut animals and and how to do it right. And I wanted to be very knowledgeable about what was going on with my animals, when especially whenever I was trusting somebody else to process them. Sure. And so we did just jump in and um, just like with my pork and my lamb, nobody had any experience with that. So huh. I was the one that jumped in. And because really, um, you're not going to mess up any cut too badly where it's it's not like you can't use it you can always throw it into the grind if you gotcha. mess something up so there was some trial and error but it's i mean once you kind of get into it it's not bad okay and is that uh this is probably just me just being <laughs> a woman but uh <laughs> so you're raising these animals and then you're also processing them does that, i mean is that difficult no 
Uh, not too much, but there's also a big difference between like the animals that I have for what are called like breeding stock and the animals that are just going to go into food production. So like with my pigs, I do have, oh, maybe about 10 head or so that either have names or I've known them since birth and, but they're a part of that breeding stock. And so they're never gotcha. going to end up in, in that situation. So I'd definitely be more attached to them. Like one of my big boars major, I like him a lot, yeah. <laughs> but uh, other than that though, I also have really high volumes of animals. So like with my pigs the other day, I was just moving them around, trying to take care of them. And I realized that in just in my sow pen, I had over 80 hogs with all the babies they had. Mm -hmm. So it's not like there's so many of them that there's yeah. only a few that are going to stick out. Sure. And like with the chickens, if you, you know, I'll do, you know, six to 600 to a thousand in a year, there's not yeah. really any way that I know any <laughs> individuals. Yeah. And chickens really, I mean, chickens they are don't not have near as much of a personality. Yeah. <laughs> the sheep I do, I do definitely have some that I know because they're pains in the butt. Uh-huh. But <laughs> Gotcha. Okay. Um, so maybe tell us like, what is your favorite, uh, cut of meat that you guys have personal favorite? Uh, it's going to depend on the species. So like with my sheep, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to beat a traditional lamb chop, but there's also, if you've never had a, what are called blade chops. So they're from the front end or a leg chop, which is from the back end, which is basically a ham steak equivalent. Mm -hmm. Think ham steak, just a lot smaller. Gotcha. Um, you know, because I, I like to explore those cuts that you don't, you definitely don't find a lot of in, in the store. Mm -hmm. So on the land, that's that's definitely something worth looking into. On the pork, the pork chops are just phenomenal. They're hard to beat. But there's also, if you never had actual pork cutlets, hmm. that is, I, I do some of those. I don't do a ton of them, but they're just like the tenderized round steak that you can get with beef. Mm -hmm. That's the pork cutlets, and they are exceptional for a lot of different things. And then on the beef, I actually am not a big ribeye guy. I okay. actually like Casey strips. Okay. So they, you know, that strip steak has that fat cap on one side, but really the, the piece of meat itself is much more of a lean piece of meat. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Um, do you guys do some of the like, or do you personally, let's ask you that. Do you do any of the like organ meats? Uh, I, I mean, I don't mind them. Uh, my family's not a big, big on them. We've we've been trying to get it into work into the works and I need to keep on it, but it's kind of like a lot of things. I just haven't had the time to finish it out. But, uh, with the state, we're eventually going to have what's called primal ground beef, which is where you take about 50% of the organ meats and add it in with the ground okay. and then grind it all together because then that kind of, it, it boosts yeah, the regular, it boosts ground the regular. Beef. And then you're also, it, it takes care of the texture issue for a lot of people because uh -huh. then you, you don't have that <laughs> liver texture or anything <laughs> yeah. like that. Okay. Um, yeah, I, so speaking of texture, um, I know like if you have, let's say you have like ground beef and it's just regular ground beef and then you've got grass fed ground beef and then we've got grass fed and grass finished ground mm -hmm. beef. Those all three have wildly different textures. Am I right? Uh, yeah, they can. So like the stuff that you would get generally in the store, generally that's going to be a grass raised animal and then a grain finished animal in a feed yard. And those feed yards tend to push really high protein diets on them, which is going to push an animal really hard, which is part of the reason they also have to doctor a lot. Because whenever you push an animal to grow that hard and you're pushing a uh, ruminant, you're, you're really kind of trashing the rumen whenever you do that because the rumen is designed to slowly digest 
very hard to digest grasses to pull all the good stuff out of there. And so whenever you dump, think like a kid, if you were dumping bucketfuls of candy down their mouth, mm -hmm. it's gonna give them tons of energy, but it also changes body chemistry. It changes the chemistry of that rumen completely. Gotcha. And so whenever you do that, that's part of the reason that they have health issues with animals and feed yards and that kind of thing. Um, so that's, that's the traditional model. Uh, the grain finished animals that my dad does, the, the ration he's feeding is significantly less protein than what they feed. So while it is still grain, it's significantly less. And actually, um, you know, if you ever come out and visit, if you look through that feed bunk, you'll actually see that there's actually not even that much grain to it. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of forage type stuff that does have some grain in it. Sure. So that's, that then changes that as well, because then you're not pushing those animals, you're not causing those health issues like it would be just like the example, you know, feeding a kid mm -hmm. candy. It's kids that are getting some candy, but. Yeah, <laughs> got you, that's yeah. a good analogy. Yeah, and I like so that. It does, now that does, you know, change, that makes them have white fat, that makes them marble significantly mm -hmm. more. And we do both because, you know, people like different things. And that kind of fat, again, is going to be very different than your traditional yeah. because of the big differences there. We also don't ever add in any of the hormone implants or anything like that that some of those places do. Got you. And then your grass-fed and grass-finished animals, that's an animal that never goes into the feed yard situation where they're eating that kind of stuff. They might have, like, um, we do have, like, sub range supplements called a cake they're kind of like cubes like that mm -hmm. and they do have a little bit of grain in there but comparatively for those animals over their lives that makes up like 0. 0.00 yeah some you know and and if you get really technical about it if they ever eat uh, a grass that has mature heads on it that's technically eating grain and so those kind of animals again we're not certified grass finished because sure of all the stuff that comes with it but those are animals that we're not ever putting into that kind of situation yeah so the amount of grain they get is just basically statistically negligent yeah. yeah exactly and so they um well and if they ever do have to be lauded like this this year in october whenever we were getting no rain we pulled all the animals off of new mexico but the animals that we we were keeping for the grass finished program we put them in a pen but instead of feeding them that ration we fed them hay and wheat hay and that kind of stuff gotcha so it was still you know they were still getting good nutrition but it was never any of that kind of a grain ration yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah that's interesting um and the texture is just so what you're saying is the texture is just because of what they're being fed you know and that basically yep. comes into the fat so and they, the yeah, marbling that changes the fat a lot in our aging cooler if you ever take a tour it's really easy to see the grass finished animals versus is the grain because the grain finished animals have a lot more fat and it's a white fat mm -hmm. the grass finished animals it's a very yellow fat and they're not going to have near as much cover gotcha um, because they do they process those differently and um, yeah I mean there's some pretty good papers that show that, that there's a big difference in the omega-3s mm -hmm. uh, so like actually with grass finished stuff and even my lamb that's grass finished occasionally I can't ever taste it and there's I, I think the stuff I've read there's only a small portion of the population that can but sometimes my wife will say this actually tastes a little bit fishy and uh, it's because of the really the omega high omega-3s huh. and so there's you know so and you are going to have a difference in even like the the uh, ground beef ground beef from the animals that we grain finish you're looking at oh maybe an 85 15 maybe an 87 what 13 yeah. the grain or the grass finished animals you're looking at more like a 95 percent lean yeah 
Yeah, um, I was doing, I was just kind of refreshing myself on, you know, the kind of difference in the nutrition profiles on the grass fed and finish and all of that. And because cows are ruminants, so because I'm not, you know, cow person, tell me what that means. It has to do with their stomach, right? So cattle actually have what's called a four chambered stomach. And it's designed like that because generally they're foraging on grasses. And grasses, if, if you've ever tried to bite a piece of grass, you will know that it's <laughs> not exactly the most appealing and you're not going to get, you, even grass, you know, you have to have grass that's really, really moist to even get much of anything out of it. Sure, yeah. And so with cattle, they have that four-chambered stomach because they rely on those bacteria that actually break down the cell walls, they break down the cellulose to then unleash all that good stuff inside those plant cells. Um, and part of that is actually them chewing their cud as well. <clears throat> if you've ever seen mm -hmm. cattle that are just standing there just chewing, yep. that's their cud. That's actually stuff that they regurgitate into their mouth and then chew, chew on it again up. and goes back down. Okay. That's all part of that process. Okay. But that's how they're designed to do, and that's why they do really well in areas like our area. Gosh, yeah. Um, yeah, and so that's part of a, the, uh, you know, the omega-3 profile being different between like a grass-fed versus a grain-fed cattle is, um, you know, with the ruminant stomach, um, if they're, you know, that, that was designed, right, to uh, process grass. Um, so if they're being fed grains, um, you're just not getting that same breaking down yeah. of everything everything. And so um, when a cattle is grain fed, you know, so typical things that you're going to purchase at the store, consumer products, um, that's going to have a very low omega-3. Um, it's also going to have a very high omega-6. And we do know that that has negative benefits specifically on your heart, overall health. Um, and then those, you know, grass fed, and then in particular, probably even a little bit more so those grass finished um, cattle are going to have that higher omega-3 because that's how their body was design was to you know ruminate that grass well and for anybody that's super into like microbiology and stuff the the microbe um, climate that you have to have to support those microbes that break down the cellulose is completely different than the microbes well whenever you start introducing high amounts of grain like that it kills off that bacterial population mm. in so, the cattle yep in in the cattle and there's not really any recovering that yeah so hmm. it's it's not something that you can just pull animals from really and go back to at least not well they generally sure. will survive but if yeah. you're looking for animals that are optimized that's what you're wanting is you're wanting that kind of environment that supports those microbes definitely similar to humans oh, right yeah. <laughs> yep, really no different <laughs> very good okay um well justin thank you so much um for coming on to our podcast um we appreciate you and so you guys um if you're interested in learning more justin or his family i mean super happy to talk with you guys about it if you want to go check them out so again panhandle meat processing tier blue and farms trammel cattle um so thank you for being here taking yep. your time out of your day you bet. And like you said, you're welcome to come out to the storefront or even if you want to basically do a farm tour and see what we do and why we do it. We're always happy to do that. So. Yeah. And I'll, like, again, I'll tell you, it's probably one of the best roasts that I've ever had. And it wasn't because of any cooking that I did. <laughs> so if you guys want to check it out, you know, it's getting into that fall season. So you've got some stews that are coming up, lots of good soup recipes um, and their prices are amazing um, and they're super transparent with everything. So um, go check them out. And thanks for listening.